and welcome to the Inspired Jewish Woman Podcast. I absolutely love and value that you are here with us right now, and I hope you will hear something on today's episode that will touch your heart and soul in a beautiful way. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another installment of the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast. And today I have a very special woman with us coming in from Jerusalem, from the heart of Jerusalem, the old city of Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, the holy city of Jerusalem, Batya Bird Oved. So, so good to have you with us. It's been a long time in coming. And uh, hi. How you doing? Hi, April. Thank you so much for having me on. So I'm going to just introduce you and feel free to add anything on to my short introduction. Batya is an inspirational speaker, writer, and former lawyer and founder of westernwallprayers.org, which is 40 days of prayer at the wall. She began speaking after her husband, Gershon, was tragically drowned on vacation with her leaving Batya a single mom to five kids under the age of 10. So there's a lot more to this story, which I'm hoping you'll share with us over here for a couple minutes now. Just not easy, not easy what you've been through. And I look at you, I'm looking across my screen at this strong, resilient woman that has held on to her faith through the darkest times. And you are such an inspiration to me and to thousands and thousands of people throughout the world. So, Baya, will you share a little bit of your story? And then we want to hear how you got through this time. Okay. So you basically told the main crux of it, but I was an immigrant to the old city from Toronto. We did like the reverse immigration commute where, you know, you actually come from a country that's a greater standard of living and come down to a country that's a less of a standard of living, but it's part of the spiritual experience to be able to you know, cut down a little bit on the materialism to be able to open up a little bit more for the spirituality. So my husband was the same. We both came from North America and we wanted to build a life that was dedicated to following Torah and mitzvahs and reaching our potential here. And he spent so much time learning and building a yeshiva in the old city. And again, I started this westernwallprayers.org, which is 40 days of prayers at the hotel because he actually prayed for me for 40 days when he was dating for five years and he couldn't find anyone. And we married, you know, within a few weeks after that. So we were living this really inspired, busy life. We had big ambitions of what to do. We had tons of guests and, you know, I was doing lots of interviews for the Western Wall Prayers and my husband was helping lots of people all the time. And we just we didn't have that much time together. So actually our rabbi told us that we absolutely had to have date night once a week where we would put away all of our phones. We wouldn't talk about children or anything to do. We just spent time together for a couple of hours, every single week for 11 years. And Mm -hmm. then every six weeks, we actually added to it two days away. And that was a way that, you know, I was growing in one direction, he was growing in one direction. And that way we would always meet up to be able to grow together. So as I was growing, he would grow with me where I was going. As he was growing, I would grow with him where he was growing. So we were able to do it together. You know, rather than, you know, years later, you're growing one way, your husband's growing another way, and all of a sudden you don't know the person that's in front of you. Um, So I highly recommend that. So this was one of our getaways. And he was turning 40. This was his 40th birthday. It was an unbelievable occasion. He was going through such a processing. You know, 40 is the time where 
you know, if you did things right in your life, then you're patting yourself on the back, which is what he was doing. He was patting himself on the back. The first time I've ever seen, he actually called all of the rabbis and rabbitsons that had any influence on his life that day just to say thank you. Mm. That's how he spent his birthday from morning to night saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. I can't believe where I've come to. Wow. Well, you know, I, I'm living in Chicago now and there's a family here that had a, an influence on his journey, the Deutsch family. And when I went to visit SD Deutsch, when I moved here, I saw there was a picture of your family on her fireplace. And I said, how do you know the birds? And she said, oh, you know, we were a part of their journey. And I, I'm pretty sure she told me that the day before he passed away on his birthday, he called them just to say thank you. And it's just unbelievable. Like makir tov, right? We're like to give hakarat tov, like to recognize the good and to acknowledge and to pass it forward. Just a little analogy. If you can imagine like buying a gift for somebody and wrapping it so beautifully, like with a bow and beautiful wrapping paper, but then forgetting to give it to them. Like all of us, we have this gift. We do have gratitude in our hearts to so many people and it's even wrapped so beautifully, but we kind of like put it under our desk and we forget to give it. So that's what he did. He literally gave that gift to all these people that had an influence on him. Just beautiful. And if you noticed under that picture, he had sent it to them about a month before he died. There was an inscription that says, those who save one life, Mm. save an entire world. And he put a picture of our entire family, basically telling them they created an entire generation of people by just bringing him in for Shabbos. So that's how he spent his 40th birthday, calling everyone to say thank you, because he was just so inspired by what he had become. He never spent a day of his life patting himself on the back until that day, until the day he died. That day, a couple of hours later, he went into the ocean because he was going into the mikvah. He liked to dunk into the ocean. He used to be a lifeguard, actually. He used to be a beach lifeguard. And so that was his place of peace. That was his favorite place in the world is just to go into the ocean and to go all the way past the waves and to swim back and forth. You know, he used to say, people who go into swimming pools, I just don't get them. You know, it's like, it's like swimming in a bathtub. Like, how do you do such a thing with an ocean? Wow. So we would all, you know, panic, but that was his place. That was a place where he felt, you know, the most comfortable and the most himself. What can I tell you, Eve? 20 minutes, I did not see him. 20 minutes, I did not see him. And I went back and forth about what in the world am I going to do? I mean, there's no one in the water. This was a place where no one went to. And it was the day we didn't know, but there was a storm coming. I always hesitate and think about how much should I describe exactly what happened. But I can tell you that when I finally decided to go and look for him and to send for help, I remember closing my eyes and saying to God, God, if he's meant to come back to me, he will. And if he's not meant to come back to me, he won't. I eventually saw him. He was out in the middle of the water and he had been struck by something unconscious. Nobody could get him. No one was going to go into the water. There was no one anywhere except a windsurfer out in the middle of the... And I closed my eyes again and I screamed something to God. And I opened my eyes and he was at the shore and I'm serious. Wow. I brought him all the way down to shore. And there was a man that was there that obviously had come from the other end of the beach. And he helped me pull him out. I started performing CPR on him. And then out of nowhere, people just ran and they started to do the same thing. And I paced the beach and I called his Talmudim. And I said, I need you at the Kotel. I need you at the Western yeah. Wall. And I need you crying. 
I said, only a miracle is going to bring him back. And I called this person. I said, please get this rabbi to pray for him. And please get this rabbi to pray for him. And this rabbi, and I thought to myself, I just need to start a prayer circle around the world. I have one hour left till Shabbos comes in, till I'm not allowed to be on the phone anymore. And I know between now and the end of Shabbos, that's all we have in order to try to get as many merits as possible to be able to get this person back into the land of the living. It was the biggest shock of my entire life. And the moment where I had to just pull it completely together, I could grieve later, I could celebrate later, I could feel later, but this Mm. is the moment that you just have to get things done. And, you know, I feel like women have that strength. You know, they say that when a baby is in an accident and if he's fallen under a car, there are stories of women that actually get this Herculean strength out of nowhere and can actually lift the car up you know, and take the baby out. There are these stories because your adrenaline pushes so much. God puts you in a situation where you just aren't yourself anymore. You're just able to come and survive and help another person to survive. And that's the only thing I can explain because there wasn't enough time for anyone to be able to get to the hospital before Shabbat to be with me. So as I went into this hospital in the middle of Tel Aviv, where I knew absolutely no one, my husband in the middle of ICU, they did get a pulse back after 20 minutes, but he was completely unconscious. And all I know is all the weekend staff left, the doctor left, the nurses left, nobody knew who I was. And someone came up to me and said, here's some candles to light for Shabbat. I said, thank you. And another person came up to me and they said, here's two challahs and here's dinner for Shabbat. How did you even know I was there? Who are these people? It's a non-religious hospital in the middle of Tel Aviv. Wow. All the people in the waiting room were all Arabs. They literally knew no one. Someone else came up to me. They were a chassid, which is uh, part of the Hasidic dynasty of a religious Jew. And they came and they gave me keys to their apartment. They said, we have an apartment right across from the hospital. We're here just so people who are religious will be able to have a place to stay. I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't know what I was going to do. All I knew is that I had a certain vortex of time in order to be able to talk to God and convince him out of what he was doing. And I thought to myself, you know, okay, I can beg, I can plead, I can, you know, tell them I'm going to be amazing and I'm going to keep all of these different mitzvahs and I'm going to do all these things. But for sure, I have to keep this job as, as much as I possibly can. There's electric doors, there's toilet paper not cut. And if I break Shabbos, my husband is going to kill me. He's just going to kill me. <laughs> He's going to say, Batya, come on. You know, this whole thing isn't real. <laughs> you know, you know, my soul is going to be fine. Take care of yourself. You know, Shabbat, this is all just a test. So I remember thinking, okay, just focus. (laughs) All right, just focus. Make sure you get in your tefillahs. Make sure you get in your prayers. Make sure you don't go through the electric doors. Make sure you're not cutting the toilet paper. It sounds crazy to anybody who's not religious, but all I kept thinking was just focus because he is clear. He is clear. The only thing that matters is Torah, the Sinai. It's Torah from Hashem, and that's all we need to keep right now. Whether we keep it at home, where there's tons of Shabbos guests and everything is wonderful, or whether we're in a hospital and I'm dying, there's no difference. What I'm hearing you say, it's pretty phenomenal. Like, you know, you felt like the support that just showed up for you, right? Like these angels. And you felt, you know, your own kind of structure and how you were going to get through it was by keeping Shabbat. Like that was kind of like you were committing yourself to doing this. And maybe it was in a way like the coping mechanism that you use to not lose yourself. Like, you know, you usually keep Shabbat. So here you are, everything is upside down but all you had was Shabbat. Nothing was familiar, but you were still able to hold on to your structure, even in the chaos. 
like Hashem was there. There were, you know, messengers along the way, but you were alone, but you were not alone. You were with oh. God. You were holding and clinging on to God. it's not that I was not going to keep Shabbat. I am Shabbat Shabbos, but when it's easy to keep Shabbat, it's something very different. When all of a sudden it's a test and you can just be very sloppy about things because oh, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. What does this matter anyway? You know, an electric door opening, my husband's dying. That's the easy place to go to. That's the normal place we go to. So I had to push myself to focus and remember, no, even though I'm going through all of this suffering and even going through all these things, Shabbat is the most important thing right now because that is the spiritual reality that's happening. And if I can show God I'm still with him and I'm still prioritizing properly, then maybe I will create so much spiritual merit that that will get him through. Shabbat. Hmm. How was that Shabbat? Like, how did you get through? It was an actual Olympic sport. All the things that I thought I couldn't do, you know, I, it was it was how to focus on the spiritual reality when you're emotionally out of it, when you are just completely lost. I have to be honest, I was really proud of myself by the end of it because I was able to do it in many, many different ways. Whether my husband made it or not is not within my control, was not within my control. I wish it was within my control. I tried as hard as I could to control the situation. But this decree, there are some decrees that you can overcome with prayer and merits and everything else. And there are some decrees that God just wants you to try as hard as you can. And at the end of the day, say, you know better than me. And even though you know better than me, I'm still with you. Even though you didn't do that thing that I wanted you to do, and I prayed so hard for that candy, and I and I tried so hard, and I asked you, and I asked you, and asked you, you still didn't do it. I know it's still okay, and it's still for the best, and I'm still with you. My love and my service of you is not conditional, and that's it. And at the end of the day, is the story for everything, for everything in the world. You know, you hear these stories that are hard to relate to, right? I've heard stories of great sages and rabbis of yesteryear. You know, there was one story in particular, a rabbi that lost two of his children on Shabbat. They died and it was Shabbat and you're not supposed to mourn on Shabbat. And he didn't want to share the news with his wife and his family. So he kept it to himself the whole entire Shabbat. And he sang Zmirat, like the traditional songs of Shabbat. And he had his meals and he just like kept smiling through it. And after Shabbat, he told his family and the way that he told it was, we had a gift, a beautiful gift, and it was taken back. And that's how he broke the news that his children had passed on. And like, I don't know if you've heard such stories by it, but we hear these stories and we think to ourselves, how is that possible? Like, how could you overcome your emotions? We're human beings. How could you not be human? In fact, even last week, I heard a tremendous story. Great rabbi here in Philadelphia recently lost his wife. And the story goes, this just happened, that someone came to seek advice and counsel from this rabbi. And he said, you know, I'm happy to spend time with you and talk to you, but I, I'm actually on my way to the hospital to visit someone. If you want to come with me, we could talk in the car. So they get to the hospital. He says, I hope not to be so long. If you want to wait for me, then we could travel back together and continue our conversation. So about an hour later, he comes back to the car and he says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It took longer than I expected. My wife just passed away. But now that that is behind me, we could pick up our conversation and I'm here for you. And it's like, you hear these stories and you're like, wait, hold on. It's 2022. We're not living in the shtetl. We're not on the highest levels of 
spirituality and holiness. We're just human beings. And then now I'm having a conversation with you. And I'm just like, how is it possible? How do you have faith in the moment, Baya? How did you do that? I can only describe it as the woman who has the power and the strength to lift up a car if her baby is under it. Because if the baby's life depends on it, the body itself goes into the place where it just gets superhuman strength. She couldn't lift the car during a normal period of time. So you have adrenaline, you're fighting for his life, sitting by his bedside. What came next in the story? Look, I took on anything I possibly could. I begged him for forgiveness. I asked forgiveness. I talked out our life. I made whatever deal I could until it was eight o'clock on Sunday morning. And that's when my friend tapped me on the shoulder and she said, this is it, you know, that his body is shutting down. It's over. And at that point I was done. I said, I'm not going in there. I said, I did whatever I could. That's it. God decided to take him. Bye. And she's like, no, no, no you have to come. It's a mitzvah to escort the dead. So I will tell you that that moment that he passed away, it was a long moment. It was about a half an hour. God gifted me with the greatest spiritual experience of my life. I know that sounds crazy, right? You're watching the other half of you just pass away. You're watching every single dream you've ever had just shattered, everything you built just gone. And all I can say is, God just allowed me a little glimpse into where he was going. And it's the most beautiful thing I could possibly translate to anyone. It's that magnificent bliss, light. You can only describe it as heaven. Otherworldly, right? Like just something else. More than otherworldly. It's otherworldly beauty and Mm. existence and goodness and light and love and acceptance and everything we want in life that we're not going to get. And so as long as I lived through him, everything was okay, you know? But once I had to settle into the reality of my life, a 39-year-old widow without family to support me on the other end of the world and kids that are one, three, nine, five, and seven, Once I had to sort of settle into that life after all of the inspirational stories of Shiva that came through, after all of that was done and I was left with, oh my gosh, you know, I have to wake up every morning by myself. I have to wake up with the first person that wakes up and I have to go to bed with the last person that goes to bed. And then I have to do that again the next day and then the next day. You know, then I crashed. But the adrenaline carries you just so far, right? And it's probably carried you through the Shiva and through the the funeral, the Shiva, all the guests. And that's really when your husband's story, his the secret life of Gershon Bird became just it kind of hit the world with a thud, like unbelievable. Like we were like, who was this man? And it was such an inspiration to so many. And there was a lot of energy that was generated from the story and people were doing acts of kindness and people were taking things on and changing their lives. How long did this carry you? At least a couple of months. It was just so exciting and so amazing. And I wrote on that, you know, I wrote on the specialness of who I was married to and how exciting it is for the world and how much he was giving to the world. And that even gave me more inspiration for, you know, why did this whole thing have to happen? Well, look how much good he created in the world because it was such a dramatic story. I mean, if he had, you know, died the way that normal people died, like being sick for a long time and preparing their family, things would have been a little different. But because it was such a crushing, 
shocking tragedy. It made so many headways, it made so much news. And that made all of the stories of all of the incredible acts of kindness that he did in secret so much bigger. I mean, Asia Torah wrote an article. It's the number one article in Asia Torah of all time. There are people that actually became religious Jews. There are people who converted to be Jewish because they heard of this man in the middle of the world, somewhere out of Nowheresville, that actually went through extreme lengths to give to another person in a way that they will never know that they were given to. I have his book here, The Secret Life of Gershon Bird. We actually have like a dozen copies at the Lachaim Center. We talk wow. about your husband all the time, your late husband. We talk about him. He's a regular name at our center. And Gershon's parents, Leonard and Isabella, are active part of our community. And they're wonderful people. And we did our Yurit site together. And we had Kiddush. And we all shared stories. I mean, his memory will live on forever. We hand out this book. We tell people about it. People take it home, borrow it, bring it back. Everyone is just blown away. But yeah, could you share like two or three of your favorite stories that came out about your husband that you didn't know? Like, what was the most shocking of all? For sure, it was what happened in the first day of Shiva. That's when I was like done my inspiration. And I was like, okay, guys, I need help. You know, if somebody gives me something good that he was doing so I could feel some kind of pleasure because it's been kind of stressful around here. Um, there's only so much grieving you can do, you know, hour after hour without sleeping. So that's an amazing thing, Judaism, you know, like you lose the other half of your soul and like you never want to, you know, get up out of bed again. But instead, you have to get up out of bed and face thousands of people, all the people that you've ever known and your husband has ever known. Hi, how are you? You know, okay, fine. That's our next mitzvah. It's an amazing thing God. you know, he puts us in an interesting situation. So anyways, while I was sitting at the Shiva, so I said to his Rosh Hashiva, I said, you've got to give me a story. I said, give me something that he was doing. And uh, so he said, he looked around and literally on the spot, this is how the whole thing started. He looked at the guy beside him. Let's call him Moshe. And he said, Moshe came to our yeshiva a couple of years ago. And Moshe wanted to get in. But, uh, you know, Moshe was wearing like this big colorful kippah and he had these big pants and he jumped while he was praying. And we're like, I don't think this is going to fit. We're like black hat shufflers, you know, how is this going to work? And he said, your husband, Gershon, said, I want you to take him. He said, what do you mean you want me to take him? We, we're not colorful like this. We're the straight boring, you know, sit and learn. That's how we do type. And he said, no, you don't understand. That's what he looks like on the outside. And the inside is one of us. So I said, I don't know. I don't see it. But okay, fine. You know, does he have any money? Gershon said, no. He said, sorry, no scholarships available. It's over. Bye-bye. Gershon said, hold on a second. I'll go call his parents and I'll see. Maybe his parents will be able to sponsor some of his tuition. The Rosh Shiva said, fine, hold on. The next day, Gershon came back to him and he said, guess what? I spoke to his parents and they're willing to pay for tuition. And anything that he can't actually afford, he'll be able to actually work the, you know, in the yeshiva on jobs. So the yeshiva says, I don't know. I don't know. But just for you, Gershon, I'm giving him two weeks. He's in for two weeks. If he doesn't work out after two weeks, bye, bye, fine. Two weeks go by. Moshe's doing pretty well. He lets him stay for another two weeks. Wow, Moshe's doing really well. Another two weeks. Guess what? Moshe is an ilui which in Hebrew means a genius. He's actually doing incredibly well. Six months later, it looks like Moshe could actually be teaching Torah in any yeshiva in Jerusalem. He is at such a level. He becomes a teacher at the yeshiva. A little while goes by and the Rosh Yeshiva sees Moshe selling flowers for 20 shekels an hour, which back then was about $5 an hour. Not a pretty good wage, right? And he says to himself, how in the world can this guy Moshe afford $18,000 a year in tuition if he's selling flowers for $5 an hour? Maybe something happened with his parents. Maybe they cut him off. He gets on the phone. He calls the parents. And he finds out something very strange. He finds out that the parents have not been paying 
even a shekel in the $18,000 of tuition. And he's quite perturbed. He's quite curious about what's going on. And he came up to Gershon and he said, what gives? And Gershon had to admit to him that he had sponsored his tuition. He was the parent that sponsored his tuition. And in the middle of the shiva, in the middle of this thousand people that just came to comfort me, Moshe looked at the rabbi and said, there's tuition at the yeshiva? This story, no one knew. The only reason that the Rosh Hashiva at the moment just blurted it out is because he felt bad for me. He wanted to make the widow happy. Aha, uh-huh. so that started the game. What else do people not know? You know what I really, really liked, actually? I liked one story that was different. There was a lot of stories about him actually, you know, faking coupons to be able to get families to be able to go to amusement parks who could possibly afford it. But one was a very interesting one. Two people came to my shiva with letters this big. And each one had this look on their face. And I remembered, I remembered each of them because we had been to a dinner where there was some kind of altercation between the two of them. And I had no idea what it was because I was gone during that time. But they both said to me like this, they had some kind of falling out at a dinner and Gershom was there. And one of the women came home after that crying. And she said to her husband, I'm so embarrassed of what happened. But more than anything, I'm embarrassed because Gershom was there and he witnessed the whole thing. And the husband said to her, oh, he's a daddy. He'll never think of anything. Don't worry. And the other one went home and she was embarrassed too. The next day, each one of them got a treatise, an email listing all of the good qualities of the other person from Gershon, talking about all the things that they're going through and all of their good qualities and all of the reasons why really what they said wasn't what they meant. And really, this is what's happening in their life. And really, these are the good qualities and all. When they came to the Shiva, they both had the letter. It was a year later, and they hugged and forgave each other at the Shiva. Neither one of them had known that he had written each of them so that each of them would think better of the other person. And he never Mm -hmm. mentioned a word to me or anyone else about the fight at all, let alone the fact that he got involved. He was just one of the guests at the table. For a man that was buying used suits, How did he come up with the funding to give these scholarships? And one of the things that I loved reading about was how he sponsored a balloon for every kid's birthday in the old city. That was an exciting moment to be able to go into the store and say, it's my birthday and be given a beautiful helium balloon of your choice, whatever color you choose. Like, where did he get this money from? And if I could be so open and ask what's really burning in my mind is, Did you feel resentful? I mean, you guys did not live a lavish life. Were there moments of questioning on your side? Like he was giving, giving, giving to so many people, sponsoring, supporting, paying airfare for students to come to Israel. How did you really feel about all this when you heard about it? I'll tell you what, because I never knew there was nothing to be resentful about. I only found out about this later. So once I found out about it, it was only helpful for me because there's a really interesting thing about chesed. It says that chesed, acts of kindness, they come back to you in this world. So whenever you give, you get. He always says whenever he gives, he can't stop from getting back. He would like not to get back, but he always just winds up getting back from somewhere. So by the time I found out about all of this giving that he did, people were giving back to me because of the giving that he did. So at the end of the day, I wasn't resentful. There was nothing to be resentful about. I was only receiving good from it. There was a time where I was like, where was he getting this money from? Where was it going? Where was this from? But you know what? I was so busy being bombarded with kindness onto us and our family as a result 
Mm. that there was no room to be resentful anymore because we were the recipients of the kindness that was earned by his kindness. Wow. He really paved the way. He really, really did. And I will tell you that any of the Herculean strength that I had to be able to focus in the right direction was only because of him. I mean, he really did live and breathe Torah morning, noon, and night in everything that he did. And so because of that, as a wife, I was able to access where he was holding spiritually. And he was very much a person that was mind over matter. So because of his focus on the spiritual, I accessed through him. Meaning once he was a little bit farther away from me, you know, spiritually, once I, you know, was a widow for enough time and I was left with myself and my own devices, that's when my own humanity came in. We have so many different levels of ourselves, you know, some of us who work the hardest can also be the laziest. You know, some of us are the most appreciative could also be the ones that most complain. It just depends on the time, the part of ourselves that we're in. You know, human beings are complicated. We're not just one thing. So on the one hand, I can say I'm totally devoted to you, Hashem. On the other hand, I can completely be crying in bed for two months, you know, sad and stricken by all of the grief that I have in me. We're not robots. And the truth is, it would be unhealthy to only be in a place of mind over matter because otherwise we're going to crash. Because if your body does truly go through a feeling of pain and grief and anger, whatever it is that you can't connect to at the moment because it's not safe yet, if you don't connect to it at some point, it will crash you. So absolutely, I had to go to those levels of humanity, even get into places. Someone once told me I was angry at God. I said, what are you talking about? I'm not angry at God. No, no, no. I'm not in a place of anger right now because I'm in a place of where, you know, I'm in my head. I'm in the things that I know are right. When I get into my body, into those places that a child feels, because we all are part child, part, you know, adult at all times. It's just that our adult self has to calm our child, allow our child to cry and go through all of the pain that it's going through and then tell our child where it needs to use that pain and go forward. We have to do the same things with ourselves. When I would sit in depression and whatever it is in a black hole, I just always made sure I had either a therapist or a friend there to pull me out because I'm only going in for the sake of healing. I have the right to from now on be angry at God. I have the right to from now on wallow in depression and be in a place of nothingness because I deserve that right because this happened to me. What do I need that? No, I need someone to help and pull me out. Honestly, at the very end of the day, it's all about a decision. Eve, I've lived a good life. I've lived a very, very good full life. I have traveled. I have been successful. I have seen wonderful things. I did not need any more years of the planet after 39. You know, once my husband was gone, I was totally fine to go with him. I'm sorry to say that, but I would have been fine. There were no other things that I needed to check off my list, as I said. But I said, you know, I have these kids that just started their life. Mm -hmm. And as much as I don't have the strength, I don't have a choice but to figure it out because these little people have their entire life ahead of them and I have to pull it together. I don't have a choice. And so even though I don't necessarily think that I had the strength to move on, I said, God, you put me here. You know what you're doing and you got to get me out. I said, I don't know how I'm going to step. I don't know which direction. I don't even know how to speak. I'm going to open my mouth. Help me speak. I knew that I couldn't think more than one day at a time. I had a friend who was a widow. She said to me, all you need to think about is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's all you need. I said, you know what? I can do more than that. I can do a whole day. I can wake up and say, I can get myself through a whole day and I can get my kids through a whole day. Hashem, God, help me through the day. But I could not get myself through two days at a time. I said, I can't get through two days at a time. So when I went to Rosh Hashanah and all of a sudden everyone was talking about a whole year, wow. That's when I could not handle such a thing. I said, no, no, no. You have to take on pieces that you can handle. 
It's so honest, you know, and it's so real. And what you're sharing is so relatable because I think for anyone listening to this podcast episode right now, everyone has their challenges. They might not be as big as what you went through, but everyone is going through trauma and pain and grief and mourning. And I think what you're seeing right now, it's like you're here right now. You could get through this moment and then you'll get through the next moment. But it's so relatable for anyone that's going through something hard. Just get through this moment and then you'll get through the next moment. But I want to ask you one of the hardest questions that I wouldn't know how to even begin answering this question. And this is a question that, you know, has been challenged and debated and spoken about and written about. So much ink has been spilt over this question of why do bad things happen seemingly to good people? And I know that this is something that you've spoken about and you kind of might have a grasp upon. And maybe from what you've been through, you could actually speak to this because you weren't a victim in this situation. You were able to grow and become who you are today because of the situation. And I don't even think you look at the situation as a bad thing happening to you. I think you see this as something bigger. So could you speak to that a little bit? So there's a real difference between bad and painful. Mm -hmm. And I think really what we're dealing with is in life, there are very painful things that happen and there are very happy things that happen. We label pain as bad because we don't like pain. We don't like to feel it. We want to push it away. We can't take it. We don't want it. We're people who want pleasure. That's the kind of beings we are. We love pleasure. And anything that's pleasurable is good. Anything that's painful is bad. And that's where I think we have to go back to basics and see what it is. Life is full of all different kinds of moments and all different kinds of situations. And look, if I were to create a world, you know, like let's say I'm God. Okay. And I want to create this place and I want to put all these people in the world and I want to do things and I want to teach everybody about ethics and goodness. So what would I do? You know, I'd probably run it the way I would run my house, which is everyone who's going to listen to me and be good and treat others kindly and help and everything else is going to get a price. Okay. Life is going to be really good for them. And everyone who's going to not listen, who's going to fight, who's going to disobey, they are going to get punished. And that way, everyone in my house will realize what's right and what's wrong, and that it's worthwhile to be good, and that it's not worthwhile to be bad. This is what we do, right? So this is how we understand justice, okay? So if we run our house that way, wouldn't we want to run our world like that? But we see that, you know, as we go through all different places, and we see all the different unfairness in the world. We see people with two kids living in mansions and people with 11 kids living in, you know, basement apartments. And we say, wait a minute, that's not fair. Like I would set up a world where 11 kids would have a big mansion with 11 bedrooms and people with two kids would have, you know, a little house with two bedrooms. Like that's the way it would work. All of life is not fair. Either all of life is not fair, or maybe we just don't understand life. You know, maybe we just like don't get this place. Because in our little tiny minds, we understand good to be this. We understand justice to be this. But either everything is totally random and like, you know, nobody knows what they're doing here and everything's just, you know, achieve whatever you can, run, get whatever you can. It's you versus them. It's a competitive world. Where there's an order to things and there's a reason to things that is bigger than our little minds can handle. Look, as far as I'm concerned, you know, life is sometimes fun and exciting. Sometimes it's sad and surreal. 
But always, and I mean this in the greater sense of the world, always it's a stage. And I mean this in two senses of the word, meaning it's a stage in terms of a platform for a scene. You know, we're all the main character on our own play and everybody plays like the backup of this person. And sometimes you're going to be the villain and sometimes you're the good guy. But also it's a stage in terms of time. There was something before this place and there's going to be something after this place. And on this stage, we're not just, you know, wearing clothes and wearing our, you know, wigs when we're wearing our wigs, if we are, but we are wearing our bodies. We are wearing our bodies for a certain amount of time, and then we won't be anymore. Then our true light and our true greatness will be revealed. Then we'll be what we actually are, which are souls in evolution. We are potentially eternal beings that have just been brought down to this place in this character called Eve Levy in this character called Batya Bird Ovid, in this character called Josh Cohen, to experience all of these intricacies and all of these unfairnesses that come our way, because those are the exact things through which we're going to achieve our potential in this world. When we go through the pain of losing a family member, when we go through the pain of abuse or hardship, we take that pain and we decide what to do with it. It is an energy that we can use to grow forward. We take that emotional pain and we can turn it into a spiritual light. We say, wow, we have been so hurt by this thing. I didn't realize it is so painful to be overlooked. I am going to go out there and be the most empathetic person I possibly can to other people because now I understand. Now I have a greater consciousness. Now I have a greater awareness of other people and their feelings. And I would never want to make someone else feel that way. And now I know what other people need. And maybe I'm going to go out there and I'm going to help other people in the way that I wish I would have been helped. I'm going to say something controversial. There's no difference between pain and pleasure when it comes to our purpose. Everything that comes our way is just a vehicle to get us closer to God by becoming more like God, by gaining all of the character traits and becoming more beautiful in this world. And it is just a prop. It is just a thing for us to say, ah, this is what you gave me now, God. What do you want me to do with it? Okay, it hurts. It really, really hurts. You want me to cry out in pain? Do you want me to cry to you? You want me to beg you to help me, to heal me? That's what I'm going to do. This pleasure comes to me. God, what do you want me to do with this? Oh, thank you. Thank you a million times for what you did. But each one of them is the same thing. It's supposed to transform us into better people. And unfortunately, sometimes pain is actually more effective than pleasure because sometimes with pleasure, you just ride the wave and it makes us a little bit lazy and we're not going to work. We don't have to strive so hard to do things. But with pain, sometimes we have no choice to get it together. And through that pain that we experience, we push ourselves to heights that we never knew were possible. And at the end of the day, after we shed this thing, this body, this hair, whatever it is, we will actually get the pleasure of being the very thing we created after going through the pain. Wow, your clarity is just unbelievable. It's like crystal clear. You have this koach, this power to see truth. It's almost like you have this vision that most people don't have. We're not walking around the world knowing that the hardest things are there for us. It's almost like an obstacle course that God created just for you. And you're embracing it. You're embracing it rather than trying to skirt around it, which I would say most people do. We try to avoid any painful situation or encounter. And by avoiding it, we're really trying to avoid stepping into ourselves and into the growth that we have to do. I'm looking at you right now and I'm seeing this beautiful woman, but I'm seeing so much more soul than body. Because after this conversation, 
I see how you're leading. You are leading with your soul. The experience that you had has given you the insight into understanding what it's all about. And you're really on a high level as far as just like this clarity of this world and our purpose and our mission and being a Jew and what it's all about and the past and the present and the future. Like you're seeing it. It's almost like you have this bird's eye view that most people are not seeing. We're in the here, the now, the pain, the gawk, whatever it is. And you have somehow found ways to rise above it. I'll tell you, because in every test that God gives you, there is a gift along with it. In the healing, there are gifts that we get. And so, listen, I'm not saying to go run towards a test or run towards a painful situation. If there's a neighbor that gives me a hard time, I will walk around. I will go the other way. You know, if there's a family member that I don't absolutely have to interact with because they're going to give me a really hard time, I won't go there. But if the pain found you and there's no way to escape it, so don't use your energy to fight it because you need that energy to be able to go through it and gain all of the gifts that it has. And everyone does. That's what they're there for. Wow. And in through the healing and through the trauma and through everything else, that's where you discover all of these things. And you'll see so many people that went through very great pains in their life that went through a lot of therapy all of a sudden became very spiritual people mm-hmm. because there's a gift in it. That's how God created it. Things are fair <laughs> in some ways. I always say you can't fight God, so don't try. Hmm. Use your energy to help build yourself. And all suffering comes from God and all healing comes from God. So instead of like saying, you know, I don't want anything to do with you because this is what you give me. Say, no, 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 no. I understand that you want me to come to you. And that's the reason that you gave it to me. And even though I'm going through anger, and even though I don't want to right now, and even though I want to be a two-year-old that's just like literally sitting and having a whole tantrum about it, I'm going to overcome that and I'm still going to come close to you and I'll deal with it in therapy. So we started off this podcast sharing a little bit about your late husband and his story and his untimely end. And then we went to speak about your story and how you've been able to rise above the greatest challenge and to continue moving forward one foot in front of the other, raising your beautiful family. Tell us a little bit about where you are now with your family, how old your children are. You know, it's an amazing thing. Because it really is true that as you grow in levels, you know, your level of suffering goes up. It's an amazing thing because <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you weren't on the level before to handle it. So now you can have more and more. No, God, I thank God a beautiful life, but I still have lots of wonderful struggles, you know, to go through all the time. You know, there's times where I look at the God, I'm like, okay, hold on. I've been a widow. I've been this, I've been this, I've been that. Is there anything left? My husband says, don't even say anything, you know, <laughs> God, I'm remarried. I'm Remarried to a wonderful person who is stepfather to my five children. Now I'm also a stepmother. Thank God. I still live in the old city. We are getting through this crazy planet. It really, it's just a crazy planet. And I feel like if anything, we kind of just had an early warning system, you know, through all the things that we went through. I feel like so many people have to go through it now, you know, why are all these terrible things happening, you know, to good people? We work through that. We understand that. I feel terrible for everybody else, you know, that kind of has to like go through without all of that support because everyone's all in it together. But um, thank God I still run Western Wall Prayers and it's an incredible, incredible blessing. There are so many amazing, holy, righteous people in the old city who are going to, you know, the wall to pray for people all around the world. And I feel connected to so many people who come to us, you know, whether they're looking to get married or whether 
they want to have a baby or whatever it is. I just feel so privileged that we're able to be a lifeline for them in some way, you know, and be able to have a short distance call to the master of the world to be able to convince them. Amazing. That's amazing. I'm just going to end with the last sentence on the article, The Secret Life of Gershon Bird from H.com. It says, hiddenness is a sacred value in Judaism. In fact, according to Jewish lore, the world is sustained in every generation by the merit of 36 hidden tzaddikim, righteous people. Could a Russian-born former football player from Chicago be one of them? So I just hope everyone will go and look up this article and get a copy of the book and read lots, lots about the story and the legacy that your late husband has kind of left for all of us. But then I'm encouraging everyone to learn more from you. Where can we find you, Batya? Where can we hear more of your classes, your inspirational talks on faith and overcoming challenge? That's a great question. So, so far, I have a blog on westernwellprayers.org. And a lot of it's included all of the things and all the insights that I had as I was going through everything. And I think I'm going to start posting probably some podcasts on there too. I'm happy to actually take this energy and give it out to the world because I really feel like God puts us through these things, not just for ourselves, but so that other people can get a glimpse into, you know, what everybody's struggles are, how everyone overcame them so we can help each other. That's beautiful. Rabaya, I just want to share with you, I don't know if you know the story, but you personally have had a tremendous impact on my life. So right after your husband passed away, how many years ago is that? Eight years. Okay. So coming up on nine years in the fall, it was right after you got up from Shiva and I was in Israel with a group of women on the momentum. Then it was called JWRP trip. I was there with a group from Denver, Colorado. And in my group, I had two women that had lost their husbands. So I thought we're in the old city anyways. I heard the story I heard so much about you. And, you know, we lived in Israel for many years. So I think we probably crossed paths, but I reached out to you. I found you on Facebook, on Messenger. I sent you a message. I said, I don't know if this is totally inappropriate. I know you're just getting up from Shiva. It was maybe a week or two after Shiva. I said, would you be okay to meet with a small group of women? And you said, yeah, sure. You gave me a time. We showed up. We came with crembos for your kids and a few treats and bumba and a little basket of stuff for the kids. And we sat around in your living room and you shared the story and it was so fresh. It was so fresh and I'll never forget. And we're talking about eight and a half years ago. I still remember the words that you spoke because they went straight into my heart. And it was at a time, there's always times that we're up and down in our relationships and in our marriages. And the words that you said were these, you said for those 24, 48 hours, however many hours that you sat next to your husband as he struggled between life and death. And you were there in your modest bathing suit and he there lying in the hospital bed and he is unconscious and you're pleading with God that Shabbat that you were there, just you and him. No one was able to make it there. No one was with you, supporting you, you and your husband who was teetering between life and death and God. And you asked God so much. You made pleas with God. You begged God. You prayed in every different way. You tried every different tactic until you came to a place of total unconditional love. And I remember what you said. You said that you and your husband would work on your marriage. You would work really hard. You would go to therapy. You would have date nights. You would do all the work 
you know, you put in the effort, but until that moment, you had never come to a place of total unconditional love for this person. And it was in that darkest moment that you really reached that level that you were trying to achieve. And when I went back home after that trip, my relationships looked very different because whether it's my children or my husband, there's always something like, yes, I love you, but you need to be like this, but you need to do this. And those words and hearing your voice in my head of getting to a place of totally unconditionally accepting this person was exactly what I needed to hear. It was huge for me. And the truth was, you know, I thought I was doing this for the one or two ladies that were in a similar situation that had lost their husbands. Those ladies didn't even show. I put it all together. I really wanted this to happen for them. They couldn't even show. I don't know what it was that, you know, why they got lost in the old city and they didn't make it on time, but it was for me. And I have shared this lesson and I've shared your story and your strength over dozens and dozens of times when I teach classes, I'm not the one to speak about faith, but I could speak about your faith. So I just want to thank you for being you because it has tremendously touched me and hopefully my students and the people in my life. And I give you a blessing that you should continue to have so much strength to share your light and your inspiration with the world because it's so needed, so needed right now. Thank you. (laughs) It's got to be for something, right? Thank you so much. We hope to have you back and hope to, you know, if you come visit your in-laws in Chicago, you have a place to stay. We're waiting. (laughs) Okay. Or hopefully in Israel soon, we'll see each other. Okay, we'll trade. Thank you so, so much. Thank you everyone for joining and have a wonderful day. Thank you for being a part of our community. There is so much more coming your way. Stay tuned and have a great inspired day.